Hey, this is Todd coming to you from the uh, Sports Library and Spirituality in Verona, Wisconsin. And I just want to say thank you to, to Anchor and Spotify for the, uh, the chance to be, the chance to have a podcast. And I would like to also say thank you to the listeners, too. Thank you. Hey, it's Todd, coming from the uh, Verona Sports Library and Spirituality Library also, in the small, in the nice little town of Verona. And, actually, it's going to be a big city now. I'm going to be reading from a game that... The Games That Changed the Game. And it's uh, written in 2010 by Ron Jaworski... And Greg Cosell and David Plot. Says it's a must-read book by the Boston Globe, and I agree. And it's the evolution of the NFL on Seven Sundays. Um, and I'm going to be reading from page, starting at page uh, 26 here, Chargers series number four, and it's the fourth quarter, San Diego. 38, Boston, 10. All right. If the San Diego's defense stopped the Patriots on downs, the Chargers took possession at their own 30 with a little more than 10 minutes remaining in the game. At this point, Sid pulled Tobin wrote for backup second-year quarterback John Hadle. That didn't mean Sid was ready to call off the dogs, not by a long shot. He never stopped being aggressive in any game he ever coached. I think this goes back to the Ohio State days, in the late 1930s when he was a staff assistant for a guy named Francis Schmidt. Alright, I'm rereading some stuff, sorry. Coach Schmidt loved gadgets, plays, and end rounds, tackle, and guard eligible calls, and multiple laterals. Those Buckeye teams scored so often and won by such wide margins that he earned the nickname, Close the Gates of Mercy, Schmidt. He was clearly an influence on Sid's wide open philosophy and take no pressure, take no prisoners attitude. Schmidt was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1971. Sid didn't show any mercy to the Patriots either. Even though the outcome of the 63 title game was no longer in doubt. After running a play picked up three yards, the Chargers came to the line of scrimmage and for the first time the entire day were in a conventional offensive set of that era. Two, two split backs, a tight end, next to the right tackle, and two receivers split. <clears throat> there was no slot receiver and nobody went in motion. But even from this standard formation, the Chargers torched Boston. Sid had Don Norton lined up a good five yards outside of when the yards numbered were imprinted. 
better to spread the field horizontally and create wider gaps in the Patriots secondary like rolled before him. Hale ran a quick count to negate Patriots defensive pre-snap movement, then took a five-step drop, waited patiently waited patiently for Norton to clear an inside slant and gunned it to him on a 30-yard gain. Once more, Boston's defender was simply too far from Norton to close quickly and the Chargers burned him. San Diego eventually advanced to the 25, Patriots 25, where it faced 4th and 2. Sid could have kicked a field goal or tried to run for the first down. He didn't either. Chargers came out in a two tight end look. Granted, Allworth was aligned as one of the tight ends. Not the ideal blocking choice if you call work for a short yardage run. And Norton again lined up well outside the numbers. So, the defense was fairly certain that Norton that Sid would be passing. The Patriots went to a six-man front. With outside linebackers Addison and Rudolph lined up as defensive ends. Hale ran a play fake to hold too low, causing Bonacani to become briefly, to hesitate briefly, a costly decision because Keith Lincoln was his man-to-man responsibility in the pass coverage. Lincoln used his amazing burst to blow past Nick on a circle pattern. Hale ducked away from the blitz and lobbed the ball to a wide open Lincoln for another touchdown. To everyone's surprise, Sid then had holder Tobin Wright wrote, tried to throw for a two point conversion from the point after formation. But Rose's high pass sailed out of the end zone. Sid was asked in the locker room why he made that decision on a 34 point lead. He claimed it, was not, it wasn't a design play that Rode had mean, merely mishandled the snap and was trying to salvage the attempt by throwing. Maybe that's true, but judging by San Diego's cold, cold-blooded demeanor throughout the game, I have no wonder. I have to wonder. Fourth quarter, San Diego 44, Boston 10. The Chargers defense was still playing hard in the final minutes, stopping Boston's next possession near midfield. San Diego began his final drive of the day on his own 20, called again on Lincoln, who responded with an eight-yard pickup and a sweep. Sid was just about ready to take out Lincoln for good, but not for allowing his star performer one last-night encore play. Hadel called the toss play to Lincoln, who swept right. Both Norton and Allworth appeared to position themselves for the run block. Mix pulled out in front to make it look like a sweep. On a day when he'd virtually done it all, Lincoln added to his accomplishment by lobbing an option pass 20 yards downfield to the reserve tight end, Jock McKinnon. After Jack, after McKinnon's catch, Sid sent in backup fullback. Jerry McDougal, as the main as the man of the hour, could receive a well-deserved curtain call. A moment later, the Balboa Stadium public addresser, address announcer informed the crowd that Lincoln, to absolutely no one's surprise, was voted the game MVP. Okay, I'm thinking that this usual flair for the dramatics, Sid made the uh, 
Grant's gesture to give Lincoln the royal send-off. No, he'll just run off the clock. Nope. No, no. Guns blazing to the end. Adolf threw deep to Lance Allworth near the goal line, but Dick Felt batted it away. After Felt knocked down a short pass held headed for Lance, the Chargers faced third and ten at midfield. Run a halfback dive into the line and kick it away. Not a chance. Sid flexed McKinnon a few yards away from Max, which kept the big tight end clear from being jammed by a linebacker once the play began. After the snap, Jock initially ran a vertical route, then broke left to run a cross, a deep crossing pattern. The deep cross was not common for tight ends of the, of the early 60s, who generally lacked the speed to beat the defensive backs. McKinnon didn't have that problem. Hadel fired to his left and McKinnon took off for the 33-yard completion. Hadel then threw on four consecutive plays. Moving the ball just outside the goal. Oops. Moving the ball just outside the goal line when he dived in for the touchdown. Following the extra point and conventional kick this time, the carnage ended with Chargers winning 51-10. The widest margin of victory of any title game in an AFL's tenure existence. The final stats were even more one-sided. Boston gained 263 yards in total offense. But San Diego exploded for an astonishing 610 yards. Of those 318 yards that had come on the ground, a staggering total for a team renowned, renowned for throwing the deep pass. But Sid knew that for this game, his running attack would be it would best counter Boston's blitzes. And the numbers here, numbers bear him out. The Chargers ran 60 plays. And the Patriots blitzed on 28 of them, or 47% of the time. San Diego gained 352 of its yards when Boston was blitzing. And scored four. And scored four of its seven touchdowns off Red Dogs. These inflated numbers had a profound effect on the way Marion Campbell coached defense the rest of his career. I I realized that this much blitzing can't be be your whole system, he reflected. It totally changed my philosophy. It's easy to just let her rip with a blitz, but we got hurt badly with that. If it fails like it did against the Chargers, you've got nothing to fall back on. From there on, I only coached a controlled system where the other team was going to have to earn every score on its own. Individually, the best the best numbers belong to to Lincoln, the same guy who told his wife on the drive to the stadium that he didn't think his flu-like symptoms would keep him in action very long. Amassed one of the uh, finer single-game performances in the pro football history. 206 yards rushing, 103 yards passing, plus the 20 extra yards from his option pass completion. His 329 yards in total offense remained 
a postseason record until 1971 when Miami at Polak surpassed it with 350 against the Dolphins on Christmas Day in a divisional playoff between the two former NFL teams. But Polak needed two additional overtime periods to break Keith's record. San Diego didn't put up those kind of numbers simply because we blitzed so much claimed Campbell. A lot of it had to do with their speed, personnel. In the end, good players are going to win for you. But here's where you really have to go, have to give said credit. Some coaches have good material but don't know what to do with it. Sid really knew how to get the best out of all his players. The mood in the Chargers locker room was nothing less than total elation. It's a sensation Ron Mix hadn't enjoyed before that game hasn't, hasn't enjoyed since. I don't know if I ever felt younger, stronger, or faster than that day. If you do your job right, you should feel tired after the game. I don't remember, I don't remember, sorry. So yeah, anybody who plays any sport, no matter what the level, will do and do and do. At some point, do something perfect. In our case, it happened to us as a team. Everybody had a game of their lives. The championship ring would eventually bear the engraving 1963 AFL and World Champions. If anyone wants to dispute that claim, just let them play us. Sid wanted to play the NFL champion Chicago Bears right then and there, recall Bass. If that game had taken place, I think the Chargers would have, would have held their own. I don't know if they would have won. But it would have been competitive. The route over the Patriots gave the NFL a lot of publicity. They never would have come. They never would have otherwise. It really got people's attention. Coincidentally, the idea of an AFL and NFL showdown was mentioned in a Sports Illustrated article, which is a couple weeks before the Patriots-Chargers game. And an issue that featured wrote and low on the cover. The day after crushing Boston, Sid attempted to set up a World Series of pro football. But writing NFL, Pete, NFL Commissioner Pete Rosell, Rosell had been Sid's general manager when Gilman coached the Rams in the 1950s. Sid's letters referenced the uh, Vatican's recent second ecumenical council. Oh, I'm sure it's not pronounced that like that. <laughs> what I just did. I wish Pop, Pope John XXIII sought to reverse years of bitterness between Catholicism and Judaism by stating that Jews should not be present, presented as or rejected or cursed by God, said Noah pointedly. Pope John was a great man because he recognized the other league. Roselle sent Sid a telegram the next day with his reply. Yes, but it took a thousand years. Clearly the NFL owners had no interest. To them, AFL upstarts 
for poaching on their turf. Why give them their credit? Why give them any credibility by acknowledging them as equals? And why risk playing them where the league veteran, where the veteran league could be handed an embarrassing defeat? The two leagues wouldn't meet head to head for another three years. But more than any game prior to that Jets upset win in Super Bowl three in January 1969. The Chargers route of Boston forced the established NFL to begin taking this other league seriously, and it opened the eyes of even most conservative critics, who grudgingly admitted there must be something to Sid Gilman's innovative schemes. After completing, after yeah, I'm sorry, oops, after completing my film study of the Chargers and Patriots, I still marvel at the fact that a still Sid Gilman team amassed 610 yards by relying more on the run than the pass. It was the most yardage ever gained by any of Sid's teams in any professional game where he was the head coach. In Wayne Lockwood's magazine feature about the 63 championship, Sid confessed, no game plan works that well. I think it was just one of those days, more than anything else, in his wildest dreams, Sid never believed that three of his first 10 plays would go for 56, 67, and 58. Every one of those calls is designed with the idea that executed correctly would pick up anywhere from 10 to 20 yards. Had the Chargers not jumped out to such a commanding lead so early, I'm sure Sid would have put the ball in the air, put up with the ball up much more. But he didn't have to. His tosses and traps were killing Boston's blitz. So San Diego kept running. This bring me back to the brilliance of Gilman's panic game plan. Against the rest of the AFL in 1963, the Chargers bomb away approach piled up points and lopsided wins. But in two narrowly one regular season games against Marion Campbell's Red Dog and Blitz. San Diego scored only 7 and 17 points. It continued to run the same offense. He's likely to end up with another nail biter with, and no guarantee they'd come out on top a third time. Gillen simply could not take that risk. He desperately wanted to win a championship, so he altered his game approach. Chargers changed their look, putting men in motion and calling into that initially resembled familiar pass plays. Boston came into the game dead certain that it knew exactly what Chargers would use against it. But Sid turned that defense on his head. For Gilman, it was a melding of ideology and pragmatism. Frank secure enough to know he would have to set aside the passing plays he loved for the uh, benefit of the team's success. Result was a coaching triumph in any way you want to define it. Numerically, artistically, artistically, historically. Well, 
this obviously was a game that that the NFL needed because of his uh, of this particular game. So you know you can see what happens when you put in a uh, high explosive offense. If you would slow it down, it would just be uh, you know if you stop running the plays at work and stuff like that, and you take it back back step to the uh, just sitting on the ball. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. You know? And so you have to keep the pedal in the metal. I mean, you know, it's Super Bowls and Finals and, you know, there's a let's say Super Bowls and NFL Championship games and so many times that teams broke out to it. At least, you know, at 17 to 20 point lead. And had what happens is that your players go flat. They lose the edge. They stop working. They don't do it on purpose, but they just they just step back a few set, you know, a few levels in their play. And um, that's what I see anyways. So I think it's great that he kept the hammer down. 1963 was only John Adel's second year in pro football. Even though he ran for one score, passed for another in the championship game, it was strictly an mop-up duty as Tobin Rhodes' backup. By the time I met John in 1973, he was a battle-tested gold pro. In my rookie season with the Rams, he was a fantastic role model winning the NFL MVP award while leading the Rams to their best record in team history. John took me under his wing and taught me plenty about quarterback position. He also shared more than a few of Sid's stories, many of them about uh, what a hard-ass and taskmaster he could be. I never had a day off during football season after I became a starter, John remembered. I'd get to the Chargers office, get to the Chargers offices at 8 a.m. and still be there late in the evening. Sid could be pretty tough on me in field sessions. He'd rip my ass and tear it apart. For a while, I didn't say much, but it finally got to the point where, probably got to the point where we'd really go at it. The great thing about Sid was that you could have tremendous arguments with him. Screaming, yelling, where both of us would get upset. But when those meetings were over, he hardly already nodded to the next thing. We'd go to practice and he was fine. He could then he could really turn it on and off. Deep down, I think Sid enjoyed the give and take. I love Sid and have tremendous respect for what he did and for what he stood for. When I got into the coaching myself, I used Gilman office for my own team. It's always been good. It's always current. After I stopped playing for him, we saw each other all the time and became good friends. I also enjoyed a warm relationship with Sid at the end of his coaching career. After 1986 season, I became a free agent and went on to San Diego to meet with the Chargers about playing another season or two. Sid and his lovely wife, Esther, insisted that I stay with him after home up in Lajoa. It was truly a memorable experience. 
Sid showed me his collection of jazz records, the biggest, most comprehensive music library I'd ever seen. And it was all meticulously cataloged and alphabetized. From Cannonball Lattery, Latter, Adderley to Lester Young. But that was nothing compared to what I saw about Esther served as served as dinner. When he was with the Eagles, Sid told me about his game film archives, amassed over 50 plus years in coaching, but I had never seen them. He had all these rails of footage broken down to play selection, personnel, formation, you name it. Once we finished eating, Sid took me into his office where all his treasures were stored. His personal wine cellar. More than six hours later, we were still up there pouring over his celluloid history of pro football. It was an evening I will never forget. As I stood over his shoulder, it struck me that I was actually this close to him years earlier when my Bills team finally won their first championship by beating Sid's Chargers in the 64 AFL title game. After the final game sounded, after the final gun sounded, I slipped through the I slipped through the crevices of War Memorial Remedy snow fence and ran some field with ran the field with some thousands of other fans. I remember seeing Jack Kemp being carried off on his shoulders of his teammates. I shook hands with a few of the players. Alvin Miller gave me his chin strap. I felt like I was almost part of that Bills team. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. But I also, I was also just a few feet away from disconsolate, disconsolate. Sid Gilman, miserable from the war, middle, middle, miserable from the cold, obviously, despondent over his team's 20 to 7 defeat. He brushed back for a fleeting moment and then he was gone. I was only 13 at the time. Certainly didn't feel sorry for him. I was exhilarated about my team winning a title. But I will never forget the hard sick expression on Sid's face. Years later, when he coached me with the Eagles, I never missed an opportunity to gently remind Sid about the 64 game, or the one the following year in which the Bills beat the Chargers again. This time in a shootout. Oh, this has been a shutout to win a second straight AFL championship. I'd keep those memories tucked in my hip pocket. And sometimes when Sid would bug me over some boneheaded thing I'd done in the practice, I'd get my revenge by teasing him about those back-to-back losses. He'd once, but I also believe he appreciated how much of a fan I was of the NFL era. I think Sid respected me because I understood when he came, where he came from and what he'd accomplished to make his team and that league a success. I was deeply saddened when I heard that Sid had passed away right after New Year's Day 2003. He was buried at Hillside Memorial Park in Los Angeles, a cemetery that also the final resting place for numerous Hollywood legends. 
comedian Jack Benny, Milton Berle, Sid Chavise, singers Al Jolson, Dinah Shore, even Mo Howard of the Three Stooges all have their graves at Hillside. I can't think of more appreciated, more appropriate place for him to, to spend eternity. Sid Gilman was a football genius, but he also was a master showman. Someone who loved making bold statements with his words, his wardrobe, and his actions on a football field. In a way, Sid, you're kind of backwards that you belong where you started. Almost like being in a one of your dad's many Minneapolis movie houses. Only this time you're not up in the projection booth swiping football news, newsstand for football clips. No, you're right in your element alongside some of the uh, greatest entertainers in show business history. And if those, some spirits, those spirits talk, they'd probably agree that you were their football counterpart, as skilled as anyone at giving the crowd every reason to stand up and cheer. Alright, I'm going to stop there. That does that. So, um, once again, film has told you they love you today. I do. And it's power of love. Um, thanks. Hey, it's Todd. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to the show today. And if nobody else has told you that they love it today, I do. Thanks.